You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Galatians 3 has been called one of the most complicated and difficult chapters in the book of Galatians. And you know why, doesn't it? You know, even going through it, you're like, man, I'm lost. Where are we in this? It's, it's a book that's often glossed over. It's a book that's often, I like Galatians 1 and 2, but I'm going to skip over and go to book 4. Because Galatians 3, it dives into the Old Testament and the covenants and the promises and how they relate to Christ. And this can become very difficult. And especially as it relates to the Galatians, the audience that Paul is speaking to, the church that he founded there, the Galatians, they're being confused by all this because they have this group known as the uh, Judaizers that are coming in, and they're trying to add the law to the gospel and bring it in, and they're totally confused. Are you confused at times? Has this ever happened to you when you're trying to share Christ with somebody, or maybe you've been talking to a friend, and they start bringing up things from the Old Testament? And they start bringing up and they describe what they call an angry God. Have you heard that before? Well, what about the angry God with the Old Testament? I like Jesus, but in the Old Testament, it just seems to be an angry God, like God is a Mr. Potato Head that takes out his angry eyes and puts them in. But in the New Testament, those are gone. Do you guys know what a Mr. Potato Head is? You ever watch Toy Story, anybody? You're my people, right? God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament as he is today because God, he never changes. And the challenge that we have is that when we come to some difficult parts, sometimes we'll bypass them because we think it's easier. But I'm here to tell you today, and Paul is here to tell you today, that our hope is found as we look in the Old Testament, and it's not found by glossing it over or saying, I'm not sure what that is, but our hope is found by digging deep into God's word and mining it and allowing the Holy Spirit Spirit to speak in you and through you and to say, God, what does this mean? Because when we dig into the Old Testament, we find our hope because the Old Testament points to who? Jesus. What's the answer to every question? Jesus. The Old Testament points to Jesus. And this is our hope. And this is what Paul is trying to talk about today and what he's trying to show us. And as we look at this, the first thing that Paul points to and he leads to is he pulls out their logic or their lack of study. Do you like it when someone does that? When they look at you and they say, you're just not logical. Maybe it's just me. Okay. When they look at you and they say, where's your logic? Where's your study? Because Paul starts off by using two very strong words in this chapter. Two very strong words. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. So he calls them foolish. Nice to see you, Paul. And then he goes on and he says, who has bewitched you? Two big words, foolish and bewitched. And when you look at the word that he's calling them foolish, the Greek word that is used here is a word that it challenges their logic. In other words, Paul is saying, you have not thought this through. You're foolish. You haven't thought it through. And the word actually has a sensual implication. In other words, Paul is saying, not only are you not thinking it through, but you're being led by your feelings. Nothing more than feelings, right? You're being led, you're being a a fool. Now, this is a man that loves, remember, he planted this church. He fed into this. And then he moves on and says, not only are you foolish, but he says, you're bewitched. 
And he's not talking about that sitcom from back in the 70s or 60s or before my time. He's saying, you're bewitched, meaning that it's bewitched means to bring evil on someone by false praise, by charm, or the wicked arts. Where does this come from? Who's the father of lies? Satan. He's saying not only that, but you're going down a road that Satan's trying to lead you down. He's leading you off path. You're foolish. The logic is not there. But then also you're being bewitched. You're being led off path. And then Paul, very quickly, he moves immediately to the evidence for his claims. He moves on, and he says the evidence is clear. This is what Paul says. He said it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, he's saying this is not a theory. This is not a story. This is not something that you just heard about. This was something that was before your eyes where Christ came and he suffered and he died and he rose again for you. You saw this. This is the evidence. It is clear for you. Do you see how Paul is fired up? He's walking in saying, you've been foolish, you've been bewitched, and you have the evidence, you saw it with your own eyes, so I'm fired up. And then he begins to ask him a series of six questions, just rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, and all these questions are summed up by one question. And here's the question he asks. He asks them essentially, did you receive the Spirit of God by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So did you receive God's very spirit? Is it because of the work of the law in your life? Or is it by hearing with faith? See, this question, it addresses the doctrine, the core doctrine of the book of Galatians that he introduced previously, and it's that doctrine of justification. Everyone say justification. justification. It is a powerful part of our doctrine that God has given us. Remember how we talked about in that first week, justification is the sovereign act of God whereby God declares a sinner righteous while they are still in a sinning state. So what that means is that while Pastor Duane was still a sinner in his state, when I surrendered myself to Christ, God, he immediately declared me righteous. God's the only one who can do that. This is what we are talking about. See, Paul is fired up. He's saying, you want to try to use the Old Testament to confuse people about who Christ is? You want to take this word of God and use it to confuse people? He's saying, well, then bring it. I'm ready for you. I'm not going to allow you to use God's word to confuse the people that I love because it is life. It frees us. And he's going to take us on what many have described as this journey of faith. Because see, Paul has taken what was used as a weapon to confuse people, and now he's using it as a light to shine on people and to reveal how the Old Testament sets people free because everything points to Jesus. The Old Testament, it points to Jesus. And he does this by taking us on what David Platt describes as this journey, a mountain expedition. And I'm so glad for clear days like this when we can still see our mountains. How many, every time you see a mountain, it's like a fresh new picture for you? And you're like, God, wow, this is amazing. So today, I want you to take out your carabiners. How many of you still have your carabiners from the Summit Series? You got them? Okay. I want you to take your carabiner out, and I want you to get ready. Because Paul today is taking you on this mountain journey, and he's bringing you through a series of three mountains. We could spend a whole series just in this chapter. But I think today, if we follow this advice and we view this chapter as three mountains, it'll help us to understand the essence of what 
The Apostle Paul is trying to teach us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's Word. And he's going to bring us on three mountains today. The first mountain, he's going to go all the way back, back to the beginning, and he's going to do Mount Abraham. Then next, he brings us to that second mountain, which is Mount Moses. These aren't real mountains, by the way. These are just, you understand what I'm doing. You're like, where's Mount Abraham? So Mount Abraham, then he's going to take us to Mount Moses, and then he's going to take us to the largest mountain, the mountain that's been described as the Mount Everest, which is Mount Jesus. How many of you are ready for this? Are you ready for this? And say, God, what would you speak to me today? I don't want to be confused about who you are. Your word is a light unto my path, a light unto my feet. So Lord, reveal your word to us today. You've come to illuminate and to show us what you're speaking. So Lord, speak now. Your servants are listening. We're listening, Lord. So the first mountain, Mount Abraham, this this is the mountain of faith. See, Abraham marks the beginning of the history of the Jewish people. He's often called Father Abraham because Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish people. You remember the song, those of you who had Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Let's hear it for Brittany. Yeah. Every week in Sunday school, they say, who has a song to sing? And I'd raise it for Father Abraham. They would say, except for Dwayne. Who else has a song? Because, <laughs> man, I love that song. I had a lot of energy. You wouldn't have wanted me in your class. I was ready to go. But he's the father of the Jewish nation. But Abraham is also called the father of faith because Abraham's journey, it began with faith. See, sometimes we think that faith is a new thing that just kind of started showing up in the New Testament. But faith was there from the very beginning. It is not a new thing. Faith is the original thing that we're talking about. See, God knew that we would need faith. So like any good father, he planted it there right at the beginning. God knew that we would need it in our backpack. Remember the backpack analogy? So God went all the way back and said, you're going to need this. I'm going to put faith in your backpack. It's always been there. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians 3, chapter 8, where he says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith is in the beginning. Faith in God is what made Abraham righteous, It says in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So faith is not the new. Faith is at the beginning of everything. And I love Abraham because Abraham also illustrates a key part of the gospel to us. A key part of the gospel illustrated here through Abraham is that we cannot earn our call. The call that all of you have of God, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn the call of God. And Abraham illustrates this beautifully because Abraham, when God called him, he lived in this idolatrous society. And before God called him, he was an ordinary part of it. 
In Joshua 24, it reveals that Abraham, when God called him, he was worshiping idols and he was accepting mythology as truth. This is Father Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the father of faith, the man that God looked down as a pagan and he reached and he pulled him out of this idolatrous hole. Does that give you hope this morning? That wherever you are, God speaks in and he steps in and he reaches down and he pulls you out of whatever you are if you're willing to follow him by faith. By faith. Declared righteous by faith. This brings us to what Paul says in Romans 5 where he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And also points out a key part of the gospel that God seeks after us. Do you know that? That God seeks for us? It says, The eye of the Lord goes to and fro the earth, looking to move in the hearts of those who are committed to him. And even today, our friends, our neighbors, those of you that are here today that you're trying to figure this out and go, you know, I don't know what I believe about God. I want you to know that what God believes about you is that he loves you, he cares for you. And he is actively seeking after you right now to reveal himself to you. If you would receive it. If you would receive it. Logically, it makes sense. But faith is still required. Because Abraham, the father of faith, it says that Abraham, he received the promise, he received this covenant that God made with him by faith. And what was the covenant that God made with him? He said to Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Now think about it. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. But he walked by faith. And to make a great nation out of here, as far as a candidate, if we lined people up and we had this competition for this role that God was calling to make a great nation, nobody here would have picked Abraham. Unless you read the Bible already. Because to make a great nation, here's Abraham. When God called him, Abraham had no offspring at this point, and his wife Sarah was barren. She was unable to have children. See, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him. There was no children. There was nothing in his pocket that would qualify him for this job that God was calling him to do. And not only that, when Abraham stepped out to follow after God, the Bible says that Abraham went out not knowing where he would go. Is this the person you want for a guide? God's called me to make a great nation. Where are your kids? I don't have any kids. Are you going to have kids? My wife is barren. All right, well, where are we going, Abraham? I don't know. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? (laughs) I'm called to do something. There's nothing there. And somebody asks, where are you going? You're like, "I, I don't know. Yeah. This was Abraham. But here was the core. The core thing that you need to hear today because God's spoken promises to you. He's spoken promises to me, to all of us. But his promises are not confined with my limitations. Do you hear that? The promises that God has spoken to you are not confined by your limitations. Because a lot of times, we're in a world that is heavy and soaked in criticism. Criticism is, seems like the only language we can speak anymore. 
And the more that we speak criticism of others, we're actually speaking all the more back to ourselves and criticizing ourselves. And then God makes a promise, and you go, and I can't do that. And you're right. But God's promises are backed by his potential, which is limitless. So the question that God has for you today, the question is not, what do you have? So it's not, what do I have? The question is, who has me? Who owns me? Who, who possesses me? Who is the owner of Dwayne? Who is leading Dwayne? Because if it's Dwayne, the answer is always going to be, I don't know. But if God is leading me, then it is limitless what can be done as I follow and I surrender to him because this is the God that we serve. See, if you're the owner of yourself, you're limited by what's in your pocket. But if God is your owner, you're only limited by what God has in his pocket. His pockets are deep. They are limitless. They are boundless. So Abraham obeyed God by faith. He left everything the Bible says that he left his identity, he left his family, he left his security to follow God because the promise was conditional on what? Abraham's obedience. He had nothing, but all he needed was what? Obedience. This is the life of faith. God, you speak, your servant is listening, and I'm going with you. And God's saying, now we're talking, now we can do something together. Because you follow God, it is limitless where you would go. And see, God's call to Abraham is the same call that God speaks to us today. Because when God makes a promise to you, what he's asking you, he's saying, are you willing to give up all the normal sources of personal identity and security? He's saying, what is your identity wrapped up in? Is it wrapped up in your family? Is it wrapped up in your job? Is it wrapped up in your provisional sources? Is it wrapped up in a degree that you have on the wall? All those things are good. But where's your identity? If everything was stripped away and all that was left was God, would you be okay? That's the journey God took me on seven years ago now. Seven years ago, God stripped everything away methodically in obedience. I said, yes. I got with a mentor for two years. I talked to my pastor about it because everything started being stripped away and I knew God was doing it. I knew God was calling me to it everything. And I had four kids that were looking at me going, what? Why would God lead us down this path? But this is the path. The promise is linked to obedience. Because here's what we know to be true. We know that God's radical promises, the more radical the promise, it requires a faith that is expressed in radical obedience. Radical promises, radical obedience. That's the way it's always been. Because the greater the promise, the greater the need of God. It's all God. We know from James that faith without works is what? Dead. This is the obedience part. Complete it. So that's Mount Moses. You guys need a little break? You all right? Make that mountain Okay. So Moses is what? Faith. It's by faith, the father of faith, going through God, showing us how he picked Abraham out, how he pulled him out. He had nothing, but God had everything, and that's all that Abraham needed along the way. So that brings us to our next mountain, which is Mount Moses. Say, Mount Moses. Mount Moses. This one's a little higher. 
Because this deals with the law and our sinfulness. The law and our sinfulness. See, God's covenant with Moses was the law. Exodus 19, he said, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the law. This is the part that we don't like reading about or diving into. Very few people, when they first come to Christ, start going back to the book of Exodus. So you may say this morning, what is the law? See, Paul, he wasn't talking about all of Scripture. He was talking about this covenant that was made. And the law included, it included the moral laws, right? They had the Ten Commandments. First five talk about how we relate to God. The next five talk about how we relate to each other. It included ceremonial laws, how we worship God, what we can eat. And then it had civil laws, procedures and punishment for crimes like murder and adultery. Murder and adultery. See, the law that God gave through Moses... It does not nullify or replace what he promised Abraham. See, Paul points out in verse 17 that the law, it doesn't nullify or replace what he promised Abraham. With Moses, as we was with Abraham, we are still saved by grace through faith. So the question comes up, and Paul presents this question. He says, well then, why do we have the law? Why do we need this law? Paul says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. What does that mean? What that means is that we needed the law because of our sin and because of our need for a Savior. See, we were made, we were designed to love God and to love each other. Those are tied together, aren't they? If you don't love each other, don't say you love God. Scripture is very clear on this. But see, the Law also points out that humanity, it rejected God. And the law exposes this. If you have a hard time believing that we are all born into sin, just try telling a young child no. You ever tried that? Have you ever had problem from somebody that you said no to? Have you seen that inner sin come out? Or maybe it's in yourself. Someone said no to you. Safe place, you can say, yep. See, it's there. See, laws were made for the lawless. First Timothy says this, which says the law was not laid down just for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. We know this in a lot of things in our society as, as we function. See, the law, it shows us how to live together The Ten Commandments, even today, they're the foundation of a functioning society. You look at a society that's functioning, you're going to see the elements of the Ten Commandments laid there. Because healthy communities cannot function without these in place. So the law shows us how to live together. But one thing that the law does not do, that Paul points out, is that the law does not bring life, and the law does not bring salvation. In verse 10, Paul says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And then in verse 11, it doesn't bring salvation because Paul says, no one is justified by the law. And this brings us down to really Paul's key criticism that he's presenting here to this group. He's saying the problem in all this has to do with your lens. 
Paul is really critiquing the lens of how they're looking at it because the Judaizers, they were trying to look at Abraham through the lens of Moses. They were putting up the law and saying, the law is our lens, that's how we're going to look it through, yes or no. Abide by the law to look at faith. And what Paul is saying, no, faith is our lens. We look at the law through the lens of faith. We go all the way back. This is why your lens is so important because a lot goes into making this lens. We know that how we view the world, the lens that we look through, it has a lot to do with our past experiences, doesn't it? How we've been affected, how we've been hurt. A lot of times this is the challenge with the church. If people have been hurt by the church, it's hard for them to come to this place today, isn't it? If you've been hurt a lot in relationships, it's hard for you to have relationships. That's the lens that we look through. What you believe about the world, yourself, and God, even your motive, your motive goes into your lens. Is your motive to serve or to be served, to bring freedom or to bring control? And this was the problem that was going on because they were looking at it from the law side instead of looking at it from the faith side. Does that make sense, everybody, this morning? We look at it through the eyes of faith. It's by faith that we know God. It's by faith that we please God. It's by faith that Abraham believed. This was a big lesson that was given to us way back before Stephanie and I got married. We had an amazing premarital counselor, and we started talking and sharing things, and uh, Stephanie and I thought we were perfect, and we discovered very quickly that we are not. And so she took a mug as an illustration. I brought out my favorite mug. Some of you are wondering, why does he have a mug up there today? This is a favorite mug of mine. Yes, that's a hockey puck on the bottom. But she put a mug down that wasn't as pretty as this one, but she put a mug down and she said, what is that? And I said, well, to me, if I were looking at this mug, I would say, well, you know what? Dr. Strand, that's the best mug in the world. It has a hockey puck on the bottom. It has two hockey sticks with a donut there. I mean, what else would motivate you to get up and fill that with coffee in the morning? That's a great mug. So I see this as, as, as a work of high art. <laughs> on the other side, someone looking through, they're looking at the mug and they're saying, what the heck is that on the bottom? And why is there an inner tube with two sticks? <laughs> now, does anything affect what this is? Depending on the lens you looked at it, did it change what this is? No. Nothing changed the fact that this is a Tim Hortons mug with a hockey puck on the bottom, two hockey sticks, and a donut, no matter how you see it. That's what it is. But based on your lens, her whole point to Stephanie and I is you're looking at it through two different lens, two different cultures, two different backgrounds, two different kinds of families. And the lens that you're looking through, you're looking at the same object, you're describing it different ways, but nothing changes what this is. So you need to take down your lens and you need to look at it for the truth and go, what is it? Because what does truth do? Truth sets you free. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying you're looking through the wrong lens. You're taking something that was meant to set you free, something that was meant to point to Christ, and you're using it to enslave people. You're using it to bring bondage on people when you should be looking through the eyes of faith, God's eyes of faith. This is our biggest challenge today is to accurately see things. So we go all the way back to Mount Abraham through eyes of faith. 
And then we see Mount Moses, and we see the law that shows us how to live, that reveals to us that we are sinners, that reveals to us that we need a Savior. And then it comes to this third mountain that Paul brings us to, and this is Mount Jesus, because our freedom is found through Jesus. This is what everything in the Old Testament points to. Everything points to the coming hope, the promise of Jesus Christ. And this is the tallest of all mountains because this is where often people fail. This is often where people give up. But once you've reached that summit place, for those of you who are here for our summit series, when you reach that summit, what does the summit represent? The summit often represents it's that place where you rest. When you finally get to the mountain, you rest When you get to the summit, you celebrate, you take pictures, you high-five the people that are around you, and you reflect on the journey up. Because on the summit, that's where you start realizing the truth. And you realize, this is where I was meant to be. This is what it's all about. Everything points to Jesus. It doesn't nullify it. It points to it. And this is the truth of God, that God's covenant is through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. This is our verse today, right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. We are all children of God through faith. Do you know what that word guardian means there? See, guardian among the Greeks and the Romans was a name that was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and the morals of boys belonging to the upper class. The boys were not allowed to so much as step outside of the house without these guardians until they reached manhood. So Paul's coming in And he's saying, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. He's saying, now with Jesus, Jesus has set you free. We're no longer under the bond and the yoke. But now Jesus Christ is inside of us. Jesus is now transforming us. He's inside of us. He's enabling us to live for him. He's speaking to us. This is why in Romans 10 it says that Christ, he's a culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. See, Jesus, he has redeemed us. He's paid off the price that we owed. See, the word redeemed was sometimes used in Paul's day to describe the purchase of a slave in order to set him free. And slave is a very difficult word for us. But as it relates to all of our life, we're following one of two paths. There's two voices in this world, and sometimes that's difficult to understand. And he's saying for all of us that you were enslaved. You were enslaved by sin, by the path that Satan takes us down. Satan's out to destroy. Jesus is out to set you free. Which path are we going to go? Because Jesus has redeemed us. Because, see, no one was made to be a slave. God created you to be free. But how often are we enslaved by things? How often are we enslaved by things? Whether it's thought patterns, whether it's the abuse that's come into our life to destroy us, to enslave us. 
to make us think poorly about ourselves, to make us forget that we were made as what? Masterpieces of God. How many masterpieces do we have here today? Everybody. And if someone's not raising their hand, go, you're a masterpiece. That's who God made you to be. God made you to be free. Satan is out to enslave you. He's out to enslave you. And sometimes he'll do it even by trying to take God's word and twisting them and trying to bring confusion. But Jesus is out to set you free. And sometimes he's happy for you not even just to think about it, just to kind of let it be numb and go, well, that's out there. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to deal with it. But Jesus is knocking. He's saying, who are you going to choose this day? Who are you going to serve? Who is the owner of your life? Who's leading your life? It's one of two things. That's why we know that freedom for all is only possible through Christ. Everybody wants freedom. Everyone wants to live that free life. That's where Jesus has led us. Remember our scripture today? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor for all are one in Christ. It's only in Christ. Our culture hasn't figured it out. Without Jesus, it's going to just keep falling apart and falling apart and falling apart. You want to be an agent of change for our culture? How many, you're, you're brokenhearted with everything going on right now. How many has paralyzed you where you're afraid to say anything because you don't want to be judged? You're like, I dare not tweet anything. I dare not post anything. I don't want to be judged one way or the other. If you want to change our culture, it is only possible through Jesus Christ who made us and who came and set us free. I don't care what political party you're about. Without Jesus Christ at the core, there is no freedom. There is no freedom. Histories prove that. But Jesus came to set us free. He was the great equalizer. All cultures are one. I made them all. Not me, Jesus. <laughs> but I get to enjoy them all through Jesus. Because when I look at somebody, I know God made you. Male or female, one. Slave or free, one. You want to be an agent of change. Get on your knees every day and say, Lord Jesus, do your work in me. Speak in me. Speak to the confused areas of my heart. Let my life be transformed by you so now that as I walk, I am alive to what's going on. I'm hearing your voice to what's going on. I know when to speak. I know when to listen. I know when to just come in and support. And I know when to use caution when I'm being baited. Do you need the Holy Spirit for that? Do you want a life like that? Where as you walk, Jesus is speaking to you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. You're not a slave of fear. You're not afraid to speak now, but you're saying, God, you want to speak through me? You want to speak the love of Christ through me? Speak through me. I've memorized your word so I know how to distinguish if there's a voice coming in my head that's not from you. I'm walking in you. 
allow God to speak to you and then talk about it. And then the question, now God, how can I walk in obedience to that? You will be changed, your family will be changed, your home will be changed, your culture will be changed, your workplace will be changed if everybody just in this room start going out and behaving like that. Are you hungry for it? Are you broken for it? It's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus because in Christ we are one. In Christ we are Adam, the father of faith. We're his offspring. And now you can walk out and go, God's leading me. And even when you don't know where you're going, you can say, I'm, I know where... I know Jesus, he's leading me that way. I'm walking, I'm going. And you start looking ahead and you see the price that it costs. And you see the resources that are needed. But Jesus is calling you and say, God, your, your pockets are limitless. You're calling me to do this? I'm going to step out in faith. I know you're going to show me what to do. Are you hungry for it today? Are you hungry for that for your life? Because before you change the world, do you know who God's going to change first? You. When God calls me to go out and to be a world changer, the first thing he does is changes me and he begins to identify, all right, Dwayne, here's the things in your life. We're going to tighten up. We're going to deal with it. We're going to say, be gone. Let's all stand together this morning. Let's all stand together today. Father, we invite your... Your voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us as we say, speak, your servant is listening. And if that's your response today, I invite you just to lift your hands and just speak it out. Say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Just speak it out. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Lord, I pray today as we walk forward, we would not be confused. We would allow your word to come in and to speak to us. We would not be led by our feelings. We would not allow a lens that the enemy would try to put in front of our face to be used. But Lord, we're going to look through the eyes of faith that you have given us and enable us to walk forward in you. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. Before we wrap up today, this is our response time. And perhaps as I was speaking... The Lord began to turn in your heart something. Maybe he started speaking out there was fear in your life. Or maybe there was an area of sin that Jesus is trying to deal with. Or maybe there's an area of boldness that God's saying, I'm calling you to step out. You're ready to trust me. You're ready to allow me to breathe into you and enable you and provide for you. Whatever it takes. You want to know a great first step for that? Come to the altar, the altar of communion, the body of Christ represented by the bread, his blood. And just take that symbolically and say, Lord, I surrender to you. You were broken for me. Do your healing work in me. I dedicate my life to you. We have prayer teams that surround the edges. They'd love to pray with you. Be vulnerable today. Speak it out to somebody. Find someone that you can speak out what God's doing in your life. Don't just live an internal life. Start walking in trust. Or maybe you want to go to these prayer walls and start writing on the wall, God, I'm dedicating this to you. Do your work in me today. Do your work in my workplace, in my home, in my life. I don't want to live a mediocre life. I don't want to stand before the Lord. and I don't want God to say to me, well, you got here. 
I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful. When I spoke to you, you listened. As you walked, as I prompted you, as I spoke to you through other people, you acknowledged my voice. Let's respond in obedience today. As God's speaking to you, step out as we take a moment to respond. Amen. Man, Father, let there be boldness in this place today to step out to pray with each other, to come around the table and to receive from you your word, your truth, your life, your healing, your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to the Lord today.